Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivivani. Today we're going to tackle a question that's of keen interest to the learners in our audience, but it matters to the general public as well. As the rate of new medical knowledge continues to accelerate, how can medical students and practitioners keep up with it all and make sure they are providing the most up-to-date care to their patients? Well, we have an excellent guide with us today to help sort through that issue. Dr. Zivit Weiss is the co-founder of AMBOSS, a medical technology company whose platform has greatly improved the way medical knowledge is acquired and utilized at the point of care. Since starting in 2012, the company's international team has grown to over 400 physicians, scientists, and software engineers, serving more than 2 million healthcare professionals in over 180 countries. And I've gotten to know Zivert over the last few years, as well as his co-founder, Majid, uh, who we met up with in New York City a couple of months back. Uh, and I'm just really impressed with everything they've achieved. So Zivert, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Shiv. It's a pleasure and an honor for me to be here. Thank you. And, and you know, obviously, I know a lot about your background and your founding story, very similar to, to you know, what motivated us to create Osmosis. But for our audience who definitely has heard of Amboss, but may not have heard of the founding story or you yet, what can you tell them about your background and what got you interested in medicine and then ultimately founding Amboss? Yeah, sure. Um, so what got me interested in medicine? Um, I was, let's say, a good student, uh, but I had no like extraordinary skills in school. So um, there wasn't anything like physics or so where I was just the brain or so. So I, I liked sciences overall and um I liked uh, more the application of the sciences. And so essentially I wanted to study something um, that is very close to a human need and um, and above all, not a luxury. So this is what what I found in medicine and in, in the health of, of the human beings. And that fascinated me and motivated me to study medicine. Now, uh, when <laughs> studying medicine, now onto the founding story of Ambas. So... Uh, roughly six years later, we were studying in a group of three friends for the final exam. And um, that is very similar to how it's uh, looking like in the US. Um, in our case, uh, that was in 2010, and we felt the preparation was super frustrating. It was a lot of details that you had to remember, and it took a lot of time. It was not very efficiently um, made. And um, so there were actually, and I won't tell you who it was, but there were two of us in the group of three who taught uh, the other one a lot of the topics by explaining them. And that, that worked super well for us because, as you know, explaining topics helps you retain a lot of the information and really understand them. And the other person was just a super auditive learner and uh, and he would remember most of the things that you would tell. So that worked super well. And um, uh, at some point we were wondering, why isn't there um, like a software who would do this, um, basically teaching the concepts and everything that that uh, is needed um, for for the exam? And and this is basically kind of like the starting point of Amboss, where the idea came up. So so how would like an efficient and effective preparation and a sustainable preparation look like, and where you really understand what this is about? And um, yeah, so essentially, it's basically about uh, solving our own pain point at the time that brought us uh, to to work on Amos. 
Yeah, that's obviously incredibly relatable. And so the product has gone through many iterations over the past decade or so since you started the company. Can you tell us what's the current iteration and what gets you most excited? Because I know you obviously have a very robust offering for medical students, but a lot of practicing providers use Amboss, and especially in Germany, the point of care. So can you tell us a bit more about the user experience today? Yeah, I mean, first of all, maybe you can imagine Amboss like a kind of like a Wikipedia by physicians for physicians um, with educational add-ons here and there. And um, we aim AMBOSS to be like this lifelong companion for the medical professional. And in Germany, it already starts kind of like day one of med school and accompanies the physician until becoming a specialist. Um, and this works super well as uh, we, we believe in kind of like this continuum of medical knowledge. So... You know, you start with basics and then everything builds on top uh, of that. Uh, and uh, you learn about the um, the diseases and then how to treat the diseases and then specialize in, in how to uh, how to do this treatment. Uh, this is kind of like the blueprint that we that we follow um, for both our German and English uh, versions, only that the English version is a bit behind. I remember still when we were, uh, I was at an AMSA, American Medical Student Association meeting, probably 2016 or 2017 in DC and you guys had just set, set foot on the US market. And again, very impressed with everything you've accomplished, expanding outside of Germany where where you have a, a really solid market market penetration there. So, you know, you're on the business of medical knowledge and you're a physician yourself. Um, you know, one of the biggest things we've learned over the last several years because of the pandemic and just general societal turmoil, social media, et cetera, is medical information, medical misinformation, disinformation. You know, can you talk to us a bit about how we should change medical education to re reflect the tsunami of medical knowledge and uh, ideally combat this uh, issue of misinformation and disinformation? As, as you know, the, the tsunami of medical knowledge, right? There is this uh, urban legend or, or somewhat uh, statistic uh, of, of a certain basis uh, that says medical knowledge is currently doubling every 73 days or so. Um, not all of that knowledge that is, is comprised in this is um, probably clinically relevant knowledge, but still it's it's hard to sift through and, and get an overview of this. And um, now medical studies are basically still taught in the same way they, they were a hundred years ago. And that is basically students uh, being presented with facts that are, they are expected to memorize. Um, and half of which is outdated by the time they leave university probably. So we're really, I guess, reaching a cognitive boundary here, right? If, you, if we look at this exponential uh, growth uh, of, of the knowledge and on the other side, uh, um, the, the kind of uh, aptitude of the human brain. Uh, so there's a systemic problem and, and the answer cannot be just cramming more facts, right? Uh, so we, we need a different answer. We need a, a fundamentally different answer to this. And I think one core component of future medical education will be that we will need to teach students techniques to navigate these floods of information, right? That that will be a crucial component of every physician's lives in the future. Um, and we do have the chance with those technical advancements and, uh, I mean, digitization and all of that to offload parts of this cognitive burden into these tools, right? And once we are ready to accept that those tools are kind of like necessary tools 
like the th thermometer and so on, right? I mean, we always, as physicians, we think like medical knowledge, that's, that's, that's what the physician is, right? But maybe, you know, uh, uh, accepting this cognitive burden, we will, we will be ready to accept uh, tools. Um, and, and I, I do think that really opens up opportunities, uh, to put focus on, on more innate human abilities, right? That, that have been neglected before. So I think. Additionally, future medical education should also focus more on basic medical principles to build foundations, right? Where you can build on top of that. Uh, it should focus on data literacy to understand and add future research insights to this. And I think another very core human um, uh, uh, skill is the, the human interaction, right? And uh, essentially empathy. So... <laughs> That's that's something we we always uh, assumed uh, you know you would you would understand along the way in medical school, but uh, that's not the case, right? It's not it's not really taught, uh, and um, and we're losing a lot of potential here. So I'm convinced that theoretical knowledge will shift to the digital space, and also by with that movement become more accessible. And as I think you also outlined in, in one of your uh, great articles, uh, I think on Forbes, uh, I, I also believe that there will be collaborations between, you know, digital universities and, and partner hospitals and, and so on, right? You're just increasing uh, capacity levels for educating physicians uh, all over the world, right? Um, so yeah, that, that's mostly my kind of framework of, uh, of uh, where medical education should head in the near future and and at least think about uh where to move because the current system will not meet those uh demands in the future that very much aligned and what you just said that reminds me of something um i heard vinod kosla say at a conference called future med which if you haven't been to i know you would love it um as well we had uh, the curator of future med dan craft on this podcast he's done a lot of talk on digital health and etc and so Vinod Kosla said something very provocative, which was uh, cited in many news articles, which is that 80% of what doctors do by 2025 will be obviated, right? Not necessary. And a lot of people at face value thought he was saying, we don't need 80% of the doctors by 2025. Obviously not what he was saying. He was saying 80% of what they do, which is hopefully a lot of the documentation, some of the medical knowledge recall, and they can focus more on the actual practice of medicine and soft skills and patient, you know, shared decision-making and those kind of things. So it sounds very aligned with how you as a physician and, and a uh, successful medical education entrepreneur have, have seen it. Um, so, you know, the, the role of a physician is changing, as we talked about. Traditionally, they've enjoyed a very high status uh, and have been seen as demigods and white coats. But now we have physician assistants, very fast-growing field, nurse practitioners, the scope of practice is changing. And in many cases, there's models that sort of disintermediate the physician and put the patient first. So clearly, you know, we have Amazon and CVS going big into healthcare. We have uh, digital health companies. Um, what is your view of what doctors should be focused on over the next 10 years? I know we talked a bit about medical knowledge and soft skills, but how do you see the profession evolving? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, the one concept uh, that I like uh, to touch uh, on here is this, uh, the demigods of white, right? Uh, and and just to be super clear, I think uh, I, I want to say I love, respect and admire this profession very, like very deeply. Yeah, So I, I think it's super important for our society. Um, but I think this this demigods in white coats notion is is not good for us. Yeah, it's not, it's not good both for 
neither for the physicians nor for the patients. And I think this is because it creates false expectations on both sides. Yeah, uh, And on the physician side, it creates this pressure uh, to live up to this expectation. And that means they will hide their insecurities. They they always want to try uh, to, to uh, project their confidence and and uh, know everything. And um, as, as we said earlier, there, there will be things that they don't know. Yeah. And, and so, um, I think it's important to, to confront, uh, this insecurity more openly. Yeah. Because, um, they should be open about it. They should be able to say, I don't know, but I will look it up for you, or I will uh, send you uh, to my colleague, or I, I will ask my colleague. And I think, uh, what, what we also learned from, uh, COVID times is overall we we should be more vulnerable, right? We're we're not we're we we ha- do not have endless energy. We do uh, we we do suffer from uh, from the circumstances emotionally and and psychologically. So, I th- I think it's super important to get away from this patriarchal model um, to a model that is more on eye level, and um, that that will also greatly influence our communication. Um, with uh, with with patients, with colleagues, and and then have ripple effects on adherence and effectiveness of treatment and so on and so forth. So overall, I think we will turn more into this kind of manager of the patient's path, um, but be less like this, uh, yeah, this father or or so father figure that knows everything and and will just uh, tell someone to do it and and have them not really understand what uh, what it's about it's almost like the uh the reformation the martin luther theses right if, you know do you need a priest to communicate to god I, obviously there are a lot of other referendums there but um or can can the priest more be a guide a spiritual guide as opposed to the one intermediary to for you to get health care or spiritual care in that case um you know, we've had a lot of guests on this podcast talk about digital solutions uh, in healthcare um, and how it can be difficult to uh, gain adoption of new technology. And, you know, our speak, it's crossing the chasm, as I'm sure you've read that book by Jeffrey Moore. Um, Elsevier itself released this report called Clinicians of the Future, and something like 75% of surveyed uh, physicians believe that technology should be taught in medical schools in the curriculum. I'm curious, what are your thoughts around how do we get people more of the digital health technologies across the chasm? Should we be teaching these in med, med school or through platforms like AMBOSS and Osmosis? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think, um, yeah, similar to like data literacy, I think there, there's, there's, there should be something like digital literacy yeah, or digital health literacy. I think it, it, it'll be super important for physicians to understand um, what are these digital health solutions really doing? Where where do I need to put my uh, focus on? What 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 is mature enough? What is not? Um, and um, yeah, I think that uh, that that will both be uh, beneficial for obviously the physicians and patients, but it will also drive adoption of of those solutions. And and I think today. Um, as you said, like there are companies saying uh, we do not really get traction in the market or so, right? Uh, um, I, I think that can have multiple reasons. Yeah, uh, the, One reason is definitely that uh, physicians are skeptical, right? Uh, and they've always been skeptical uh, towards new tools. Yeah, There's the, this 
article that I once read where they say when they introduced the thermometer 300 years ago, there was an outcry in, in the physician population because they were like, yeah, but it's not capturing all of the um, uh, aspects of, of a fever, right? It's just measuring the temperature. And yes, that's right. But, you know, it, there is a standardized way to measure the temperature now, right? And so, and so it, it, it has taken some years uh, to, to be adopted then uh, finally. And I think that's similar with other techniques. You, you find a similar uh, adoption curve for x-rays and so on. And today, I, I mean, there's all this talk about AI, uh, will AI replace the physician and so on. I think what what will help any company, I think, in the healthcare system is to maybe not think about replacing be it physicians or nurses. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there will always be this human factor that we need, right? A human wants to talk to a human, but the tools can augment uh, their their powers and skills and and do something where those tools are just intrinsically better in um, but uh, again, when when the humans focus on the innate human uh, skills, then uh, it'll it'll be a win-win uh, situation. Finally, I think um, for any healthcare or digital health company to to break into this space, um, in my experience, what really helps is uh, thinking from the user's perspective and and uh, asking. Uh, yourself, what is the problem? <laughs> how big is it? And how much better will the experience be uh, when I introduce my solution? Yeah. And then um, I think you can find adoption. Yeah, It usually takes a bit longer than in other markets, but uh, it might also be more defensible. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really wise advice for anyone looking to to start or, or embrace a new technology. Um, there's a bit of a the joke, right? That's a hammer in search for a nail. Like if you're a hammer, every, mm -hmm. everything yeah. looks like a nail. And uh, especially during the hype of 2021 with crypto and blockchain, some of which have legitimate applications, others do not. Uh, I was encouraged and actually did this. I bought the domain osmosisblockchain.com just, just, just in case there was something <laughs> to that technology for osmosis. Maybe there will be eventually, but uh, it makes me makes me think about some of the hype, uh, the, the Gartner hype yeah. cycle of technology adoption. And um, so. You know, going back to uh, back to COVID, right? We launched this podcast because of COVID. It's called Raise the Line because, in addition to flattening the curve, we wanted to strengthen our healthcare system by improving training more doctors and nurses, as Amboss does, as Osmosis does, as Elsevier does, etc. What um, What are some of the kind of other things in our health systems? And maybe this is also where you can, if you'd like, compare and contrast the German and U.S. health system, if you'd like, um, that are not going well. And you know, what are some of the things we should be doing to to fix it or to raise line, as we say. Yeah, I think something uh, that you are doing here, for example, is is really a, a great addition to to the portfolio of uh, solutions. Yeah, um, I mean, in the end, uh, science is super complex. Yeah, um, uh, and there is a need to explain science. Yeah, um, and I think what we saw in in COVID times is um, that it's really important to make people understand and also understand what they understand. And I think this is also something that we can take away for uh, medicine uh, as a whole. You know, like, for example, when I studied medicine, yeah, the books that I read were not written in a way that I could understand them. 
like I would have to reread every sentence <laughs> because it was so complex and they would use so many complex terms that this is not, it, it's not made for understanding. Uh, it's, it's, and you know, I don't want to, uh, blame anyone here, but it, it it felt more like someone wants to show off that he or she has uh, studied so many years and uh, and become a, a professor or whatever. And the goal of teaching should be that as many students or as many persons understand as much as possible of that. And I think that's the same for medical students or patients or the general population. It should be about understanding. So I think we really need to rethink how we communicate with each other and and understand that this is not a one-way street, right? It's not we someone is saying something and then this will have an effect. No, we need to make sure is this understood or not, or what is understood of this. And and yeah, I, that's there. I mean, we could go deeper down that route, but I think um yeah, uh, on on the topic of science communication, that would be um, that would be one important topic. Definitely, I totally agree with that, and definitely like the the way we communicate science. Oftentimes, it's over our patients' heads, and they you know if they don't understand something, they aren't going to you know take the full antibiotic regimen, for example, which can contribute to antibiotic resistance. So I agree, that's an important point, and one of the things I think our health system needs to do better get doctors and nurses and others to be better communicators as you're describing as well. Um, so what are some of the other things you're thinking about for improving our healthcare system? Now, I, I mean, um, you, you also said uh, that, um, that maybe there's a, a comparison between the US and, and Germany to be made. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've, I've looked at this uh, before and I've seen it here and there that for just from the, from the outside facts, yeah, the life expectancy in Germany is it's higher and still going up. Uh, in the US, it's declining. Um, Germany is covering everyone with a health insurance. Yeah, there's a uni universal health coverage uh, and it's mandatory. Um, and at the same time, Germany is spending less on a per capita basis. Yeah, uh, This is not to say, hey, Germany is the best <laughs> in the system in the world. Uh, um, uh, and and I'm pretty sure this is a complex uh, topic uh, of costs, delivery, insurance structure, incentives, and and so on. Yeah, but just just from these facts, there there something seems to be off here. And um, and if if we look, for example, into the education system, yeah, uh, in Germany, if you if you go to university or school, most of that is public. Yeah, you you don't pay for that, and. It's not as simple as that, I guess. Yeah. But in both topics, you find this funda fundamentally different approach of the state takes care of its population or the population ha has to take care of itself. Yeah. And this is a philosoph philosophical question. Yeah. That, uh, what, what kind of model do we want? Right. And we talked about the patriarch before, right? <laughs> in this case, you could say the German state is like the patriarch. Um, I think there there might be something to uh, uh, to be learned here. Um, I do. I I'm definitely super far away from saying how this uh, how um, how anything of that could be turned around or so. But with I mean all the evidence and all the trends point into the direction that uh, medical care will only grow. Right? We we will have a growing population basis. Uh, the patients become older and older. Usually, um, uh, we find more ways to treat it. So. 
we need to find a way to to uh, address these problems in in a somewhat practical fashion. And in my opinion, that we do not lose too many people on the way, right? I, that uh, at least from an ethical point of view, um, uh, this and and uh, Hippocratic oath or Hippocrates oath, uh, yeah, uh, I I think uh, we should change our mind on this. I think it makes sense, and that's one reason I'm a big supporter of this internationalization of companies as well and people. You know, we've been in the U.S. and uh, you know, Amboss operates successfully in those countries and 178 other countries. Same with Elsevier and Osmosis. Many, many countries, many physicians and nurses were hiring in all these countries who can kind of come in these forums and share how they do it in their system versus the other system, and ultimately turn that into ed- education. Mm. I'm aware of the time, so I want to be respectful of yours. So my final question is is just related to general career advice. I mean, you've had a very successful career as a physician, as a as a healthcare educator and entrepreneur, what advice would you give to people listening right now about meeting the challenges of the COVID pandemic and beyond? Yeah, I, I wouldn't limit, I mean, I mean, as you know, giving advice to someone you don't know and without the context is always, uh, I think, super hard. Uh, and now limiting it to COVID, uh, I don't know if it would change my advice, but uh, my advice would be uh, from from all the experiences that I made is basically follow your heart, uh, and and that is might sound super trivial, uh, but for me that has changed a lot, and and it takes quite some courage to do so, um, and essentially I think you know think about the time that you are in that this is your life, yeah, do something that you like in that time, uh, pursuing. That can be super hard, yeah. Especially if it's not a well-trodden path, as it was in our cases, uh, yours and mine. But there, there is, there's no need to 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 adhere to what society expects from you. Um, that is not what will make you uh, happy, yeah. If this is not uh, what, what you like, so try to find out uh, what what it is that you like, and then try to do it, and you won't regret that. <laughs> Totally. That's uh, that's also some very good general advice for people to take. And I agree with you. It's very contextual. And actually, that reminds me of one last question I had for you that I uh, really wanted to get across. When we were on the podcast together last time, uh, I think we were we were both asked as guests about our book recommendations. And you recommended William Irvine's The Art of uh, Living a Good Life. A very good book. And I'm sure you've seen Sam Harris had him on the Waking Up podcast. And there's a whole William Irvine Stoic series, which is great. In addition to Ryan Holiday's story content and his new book coming out, Discipline is Destiny, in a couple of weeks. What are you reading right now? Any other book recommendations? Because you're one for one in my book in terms of how uh, how good that one was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I read, uh, I, I just finished um, 4,000 weeks. So that's uh, that's very, I think, goes in line with the, uh, the Stoics. Um, uh, it it's coming from a different angle though. It's coming from like this productivity angle and how can you productivitize your life and and things like that. Uh, um, but it's it, yeah, it's it's really fascinating uh, to think about your life. I think in uh, in in these four thousand weeks, right? And that's that it makes it very tangible that this is a limited time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would highly highly recommend that. 
That's awesome. Yeah, he also, uh, I think Oliver Oliver Berkman, I think is the author's name. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he also is on Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast with a series. So that's great. Um, well, Super, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And more importantly, for the work that you and your team at Amboss have done to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system by educating so many millions of current and future healthcare professionals. Thank you, Shit. Thank you also for your work and uh, pleasure uh, to be here and, and talking with you. It was a great chat. <laughs> Likewise, I really enjoyed it. And with that, I'm Shivigwani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.